Hello and welcome back to another episode of Dirt Talk. I'm your host, Aaron Witt, and today we're going to be talking tractors because we're talking with Mr. Sam Meeker, who is product application specialist of track type tractors. I guess medium tractors, is that right? Yeah, medium tractors and track loaders as well, too, or track excavators as we love to call them. Track excavators, yeah. So he is with uh, he's with Caterpillar. He's out of Illinois. Sam, when did I meet? I think I met you in Peoria. Is that right? Well, no. Was it that or was it just before that at Trimble Dimensions? Oh, that's right. I Yes, I met you at Dimensions first. Yep. Yep. You're right. That's right. Yeah. So that, that was that was kind of a fun one. A little, little fun story for, for everybody. Uh, so here we are kind of getting set up for Trimble Dimensions. And uh, and there's this dude running around with a camera you know, kind of, kind of like, not, not exactly in the way, but he was, kind of, we're like, what, what are you, what are you doing here, man? He's like, oh, hi, I'm Aaron Witt. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was still pretty early on. I remember <laughs> I didn't want to pay for a hotel room. So I, I roomed with uh, Ryan Goodfellow, Rock Structures. He had an extra bedroom or uh, extra bed in like his like Venetian hotel room. And, and I asked him to crash <laughs> with him for a night or two. And and that was when you launched, that was the first like quote unquote public unveiling of the D6, wasn't it? Yeah. The next gen D6 and D6XE. We, we kind of decided that, uh, that since it's such a high tech product, we thought what better place to launch it than, than literally, you know, one of the, if not the highest tech construction conferences in the world, which is triple dimension. So we, we figured that was a great place to do it. And, and that was a blast. It was a, it was a really cool launch. Yeah. Con Expo, it gets all the the press and the buzz around it, but triple dimensions is something else. Like as a, as really anybody could go there. Cause even I was amazed by how many machines they had at that demo area. I mean, they had one of everything imaginable out there and you could just spend 10 hours just digging on all different types of machines, you know, pushing on dozers, everything like that. It's, it's a crazy cool event. Yeah, it was, re- it was really neat. And it's, and that, that event's really grown over the last few years and, and changed a lot as well too. I mean, it kind of, you know, 10 years ago, it was a little bit more classroom and a little less in the field. And then uh, the, this last one in 2018 was, I mean, very, very significant presence in the field. Like you said, lots of machines, it, you know, if you want to, go out and, and try technology on, on every, you know, brand attractor you can think of. They pretty much have them there. Trimble does a really good job of uh, making sure they're well represented with all the brands and, and uh, you know, really just to kind of give everybody, you know, a, a feeling the, you know, the technology is, you know, really growing and it's growing in a lot of different, you know, a lot of different industries and a lot of different places and give everybody a chance to go out and pull some sticks and see what they think about it. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately it's pushed this year, but it should be next year in Nashville. I told yeah. Jimmy Starbucks. Looking forward to that, huh? Yeah, he's he's going to come out for it. And I told him we'll do the next podcast drunk when he comes out here to uh, to Trimble Dimensions. Yeah, that shouldn't be hard. No, no, it'll be a, <laughs> it'll be a great time. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Jimmy's to host a everybody. hoot. You know, we first met him at that first Trimble Dimensions, and yes. uh, and and went out to dinner and uh, and had an awesome conversation. And then this last time, I got to spend a little more time with him at Con Expo. Actually, I think at your uh, your little cocktail hour and. Uh, you know what? For for being an Aussie, which you know we we all we all kind of think that they're just crazy, that dude's pretty sharp and like he really has his head screwed on good and oh, yeah. knows his business top to bottom. I'm really impressed with Jimmy. Yeah, well, he's he's still crazy, but yeah, he's 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 smart son of a bitch. When did you get into the the social media thing? Was it like around Trimble Dimensions or when yeah. was that? Yeah, 
I think it was because because Ryan Neal was uh, was you know talking to me about it, and, and I'd, I'd always been a bit of a Facebook guy, and you know I, I'd produced a few videos, you know, filmed and produced and whatnot, a few a few videos for for cat stuff, mostly internal things, and a little bit of YouTube stuff. And then uh, you know Ryan and I, Ryan was like, yeah, you really got to get into this, you know, into this Instagram thing. And I'm like, oh, Ryan, I'm on. I'm like, I, I'm I'm not 22 years old, man. I, I don't need to I don't need to be on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. That's good enough. And then he kind of introduced me to a little bit of what what was going on out there. And I, you know, and then meeting you and, and of course, Pushy Six, Scott and several of the other guys uh, just decided that, all right, maybe I had to maybe I had to give it a, you know, give it a shot. Kind of tell a little bit of the story of what, it, what it's like to be a cat guy. Right. You know, and on social media turned out good. It's it's turned out real well. And, and, and uh, so how long have you been with Caterpillar for? So 1999. So I guess really? it's uh, going on 21 years. Yeah. Holy smokes. Where did you, I'm what was your first job there? Dude. So, you know, my, I guess my, the, the brief, the brief history of me is, um, you know, graduated from college, uh, had an ag degree uh, and I'm an ag kid. I'm a farm kid. I, I still, um, you know, we, we joked about doing this podcast from the combine, yeah. uh, but I still yeah. actively well, it was a half participate. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until I still actively participate in the farm today, which honestly keeps you grounded, right? I mean, there's nothing like going out and getting your fingers dirty and skinning some knuckles to help you remember, you know, what, what it's all about. So, um, but graduated with an ag degree. Um, I, uh, I worked a little bit in the ag equipment business and then into some of the precision farming business, which is the, the GPS version of, you know, the, of what we do in agriculture. So we're, you know, recording yields and, and driving prescriptions, you know, varying uh, fertilizer and input rates over the, the fields to try to save money and make money, right? You know, improve yield and reduce cost. So I kind of got in that. And I actually came into Caterpillar as a precision ag guy and did a lot of work with the combine yield monitor that we had and also the software on there. And then kind of slid over into the construction side of it, working with Product Link, which is our, our telematics device. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to joke that I, uh, I I came into Product Link when we had 500 units in the field, and I got out of it when we had 10,000. Mm. So it was it was still pretty pretty you know pretty early on, and kind of kind of slid into marketing after that. Did wheel loader marketing for for quite a while, small wheel loaders and compact wheel loaders, and then uh, moved over into the tractor side. 2009, jumped into the tractor side. So I've been over here for uh, well, I guess 11 11 years or so. So you've never you've never really been on the engineering side of things though, huh? Not really. No, I, um, you know, with the, I guess with the the precision ag and the technology and the product link side of it, it was really more software, you know, a little bit of software development requirements and then lots of testing, right? I've done a lot of software testing and writing yeah. protocols and stuff like that with the product link side. The, and then, you know, I, f- I figured you just had an engineering background though, because your mind is so damn, it, it's, you, you, you have an engineering mind, especially just hearing you talk about a tractor. Like you can just break it all down. Like, yeah, this is exactly how, you know, the drive works and this is how the transmission works. And it, it just, you're really, really damn good at understanding how a tractor works. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, I guess I've, I've got a, you know, kind of an ag engineering degree. Um, it's ag, ag, uh, we call it ag mechanization is what it was. So uh. that's, yeah. Yeah. So I, so I've been, I've, you know, that on that portion of it, right. Been close to the, the, it's kind of the combination of the engineering side and then the application side, right? It's the, mm-hmm. it's the bridge between those two, knowing, knowing how it's put together and how it works. And then, uh, you know, how you use it in the field. That's what really helps you understand, you know, why stable blade works the way it does or why auto carry works the way it does, right? Is, is understanding both sides of it. Now, why, 
uh, I was joking with someone the other day because you were posting about your combine and, and the yields and like the screen. It, it, it's a incredible how far along farming is and the data you get off the combine after, you know, one day of harvesting. It's 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 crazy eye opening. And then, you know, we have on the the dirt side of things, it's like we get excited about, oh, wow, we have, you know, 6.7 tons in the bucket. It's like, okay, who cares? Like, great. Wow, we figured out how to weigh a bucket when in the ag world, they're getting all this data off the machines daily and everything's like, why is ag seem so much further ahead of, of dirt? Yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. So they so a little, little bit of a history lesson on that. We started doing yield monitoring when I was just out of college, yeah. uh, 1995. So I, you know, I mean, we literally, this is my, what, 26th year of yield mapping. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and some folks are just getting into GPS on their, on their, uh, you know, bulldozers right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The ones that have been in it for a while have been in it for five to 10 years. Like if you've been in this for 10 years, you were a pioneer when you started it, uh-huh. right? Well, we started yield mapping and variable rate and agriculture 25 years ago, which is uh, which is a long time ago. Um, I would say that that one of the things I think is different is in ag you have a significant amount of data to work with, right? So mm-hmm. when when we run a combine through the field, we're taking yield, moisture, speed. Now, now we're not to the point of taking like grain quality and that kind of stuff, but we're close. I think we're close, but we're taking yield, moisture, speed every two seconds. Wow. So you get a typical yield map. I mean, it's 10,000 points, right? You know, or, or whatever. It's it's a ton of data. So with data, you can do some statistical analysis and you can actually do, you know, you can actually do some real statistics on this stuff with with just one field and then starting to work your way up through an entire farm and, you know, an mm-hmm. entire county. And you can you can get some really good statistics on it just because there's so much data on it. Yeah. In the construction side of it, right? I mean, we're you know, our, our, our main thing that we're trying to do is drive that blade to grade, right? Or weigh that bucket, right? But if you, you know, at the end of the day, if you're weighing trucks, you know, if you do 25, 30 trucks in a day with an excavator, that's, that's a pretty good day, right? You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. you know, you if you're hauling, you could do a decent amount, but it, it's just not as much volume of data. And I, and I think that's one of the key reasons that ag has moved on so quickly is uh, is because of the volume of data. The, the other part of it too, I mean, I guess we figured out pretty quickly how to how to take the data and spin it around and turn it into decisions that we made, mm-hmm. right? Like that would directly impact. So I'll take this data that we're we're taking in the combine right now, and we'll turn it around. And in a month, we will be making decisions, you know, e- either to reduce input cost or to increase yield potential, and we'll do it in a month. Yeah. Right. It's not like we're sitting on it for years and in years and years. We'll we'll turn around and use this stuff in a month to make real decisions with. So it seems to me like there there's a pretty quick turnover on that to be able to do that. Well, and even in so. the in the dirt world, like there we do have some data now, but there's a, a lot of people really don't make decisions on it, even if they're collecting it. I've seen, you know, in, in a lot of software companies, they like to talk about, wow, we have all this data and, and all this crazy stuff. But then you go out into the field and, and the people aren't really utilizing it all that much. But I guess one of the big differences between farming and dirt is farming. I mean, a field, you're going back and forth. It's very consistent. So you can get that consistent data. Whereas, you know, a dozer, you can be doing 15 different things in a single day. That's all completely different. So your your data, your your, your points are just going to be all over the damn place and not all that meaningful. Yeah, that, that's the challenge with it. We've, you know, I mean, we, we want to do things uh, to, to optimize the dozer, right? And, and a lot of times 
part of that is, is, is taking a look at what, what a customer's doing with it and then trying to figure out how we change parameters on the dozer to make it work better for him. Yeah. Well, it works great in the mining world, right? Where you're taking that D11 and you're slot yeah. dozing all day long and it's Back the and exact forth. same push all day long yeah. versus a guy with a, a, you know, a D6N or, you know, a D6K or even a D6T, brand new D6. And, and he's, He's running back and forth on a job site. He's knocking some trucks down. Now he's got to run over and he's got to push up to the excavator a little bit. Oh, look, somebody found a tree. All right. Oh, great. Big chunk of concrete in the fill over there. Get yeah. the dozer out there and go dig that sucker out and get it out of the way. And, and you, you know, you, you can't make transmission shifting decisions based on that, right? <laughs> because yep. the guy's just doing such a variety of tasks all day long with the machine. Oh, that makes sense. Were you early on, have you always run equipment? Since, uh, I mean, around the farm, I know equipment's a big piece of it. So you've always been around equipment your whole life, pretty much? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess my, you know, I'd like to like to remember, and, and maybe my dad would remember it a little bit better, but I think probably one of my first, uh, one of my first things he ever let me do was uh, he let me pull empty silage wagons down to the field so he could fill them up with a chopper. And I would do this with a simplicity lawnmower. Mm. So you imagine it, you know, the, the silage wagons are those, it looks like a hay rack, right? But it's got a great, it's got sides and a roof on it. And it's this huge box that you're pulling behind. You put your five-year-old kid in a lawnmower and ask, yeah, and let him pull it down to the nice. field. Nice. That's just how rural life is though. I mean, you got kids, you're yeah. going to use them to work. It's just how it, how the life of how it, how it works. Yep. Yep. I mean, I, you know, been running tractors ever since I was seven or eight, you know, farm tractors, um, I, you know, I, I run the grain cart, you know, when I was 10 years old and, and that was my job after school, right? Dad would be harvesting and I would be running the grain cart back and forth and filling semis and, and guys would, you know, the, the semi truck guy, guy drivers would always kind of look at you like, Hey, don't hit my stacks there, junior. You, yeah. You've never done this before. And I'm like, dude, I got more hours in this thing than you. Uh. <laughs> but, but I was, I was always fascinated yeah. by construction equipment. So we, we collected antique Oliver tractors. All right. So Oliver made, uh, made farm tractors. They've turned into Agco nowadays, but we collected the antique Oliver tractors and they, um, they made a, uh, a crawler. They were in conjunction with the Clee track company, Cleveland tractor company, and they had a little crawler. And so one day, uh, dad found this Clee track crawler with a blade in the front of it. Mm. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. So we picked that up and we, you know, we just do, oh, just some little itty bitty cleanup stuff with it. We really didn't work it that much. But I was just fascinated with watching those tracks go, you know, after watching tires move your entire life. And you're like, wow, this is insane. How, do, how does this thing even work? Yeah. And so that, that was probably one of my first, you know, one of my first experiences with a crawler and, and really, really just fascinated by it and the sound and everything else, too. So when you did you go to Caterpillar deliberately? Were you like, I want to go work for Caterpillar or did it just come about? It kind of just came about. So, um I was working, uh, like I said, I kind of worked in the precision ag world for a while and worked for, uh, actually worked for Case Corporation for a little while up in, up by Chicago. Mm-hmm. They had a, a, a precision ag division called AFS, Advanced Farming Services. And I was working from them. And um, one of my buddies was also working with us. And he, he happened to be living with us at the time, you know, kind of, kind of took the room in the basement uh, while he was in between houses. And he, uh, he came up to me one day and he said, Hey, he said, one of my college buddies works for Caterpillar and they're looking for a combine guy. And he's like, he offered me the job or the interview, right? To talk to him about it. And I guess I could tell you it was, uh, so Lance Murdoch was my, my buddy's name. And Troy Carroll is a, a great friend of ours and a local guy here. And Troy was the one 
that told Lance, he said, Hey, we're looking for this. Uh, we're, we're looking for a combine guy. And Lance said, I'm not your guy, but I know who your guy is. Hmm. So Lance got me tied up with Troy. I ended up going out to, um, came down to Peoria to interview and, uh, you know, wore the nice suit and everything else. And my, the guy I interviewed with, uh, Alan Van Neyman, who's a, it was a guy in the combine world. A lot of people will know. Alan said, Hey, uh, we, we don't, we don't dress like that in the combine world. You need yeah. to, you need to get your jeans back on <laughs> and, uh, interviewed with Alan and, and the crew there and then went out and interviewed in Omaha as well too, which is where the, the combine group was and kind of just fell in love with it and decided it was worth, it was worth the risk to jump over to this, this little company Caterpillar that was trying to, trying to make combines and get in the ag world at that time. How about the, okay. So you went in, you went into the ag world, ag side of Caterpillar and, and, I joke with people, normal people I know outside of, of dirt. And I say, yeah, I don't even own a, a own a suit because I, I have really no need for one. And they think I'm joking, but it's like, no, I, I, I don't own a suit. Like you don't need one. You don't need anything fancy in this industry. It, it does you a disservice. You need to, you need to show up in jeans. If you show up in nice clothes, no, no one's going to look at you. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a bit of a, you know, you're a bit of a joke showing up too nice, but, yeah. but at the same time, like, you know, I mean, in Caterpillar, we are a corporation, you know, we're, uh, yeah, no, no, I've, I've, yeah, I've seen the executives. They're, they're all fancy yeah. looking. Um, so you gotta, you gotta find that, you gotta find that middle, right. That, that khaki pants in the middle type of thing where you're, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit nicer than, you know, what you, what you expect, but yet you can still go out and get dirty and not, uh, not feel bad. Yeah. So when, when did you go to, to dirt? I mean, how many, how many years after that do you go from farming to dirt? Yeah, so so I jumped into uh, when I jumped in the combine side that was in '99, and that was probably about two years, I believe. And like I said, I mean, I was I was in the combine side, but at the same time, I was doing the 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 GPS portion of that, right? I mean, it was the yield monitor, it was the sensors involved with it, and the software involved with that as well, too. So I was, you know, pretty pretty high on the technology side even then in the ag side. So we had uh, we were in Omaha. Susan and I were out there in Omaha doing our thing. And uh, we kind of wanted to get back to Peoria. And when I came to work at CAT, I knew that there was, you know, obviously the home was Peoria and her family's from right here and mine's an hour away. So we knew we wanted to be back in the Peoria area. So a couple of years into it, you know, I'm talking to some guys about this product link thing. And uh, because we were in the process of putting it on the combines and the tractors and trying to figure out how to, you know, what kind of data we could send back and forth through the cloud and everything. And uh, so I kind of kept an eye on the, on the product link side and knew the guys in the, you know, in product support that were doing it. And so this job pops open, you know, you want to be, you know, kind of a product link uh, implementation guy going out to the visit, uh, going out to the dealers and helping them, you know, helping them install their first product link unit, helping them, uh, you know, do, do the backend software, do the web software, you know, getting the users on, making sure everybody knows how to use it, a little training in there too. So I, I kind of knew these guys and they were like, Hey, we've got this opening in the group. If you're interested, and so, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I want to get back to Peoria and this product link GPS thing sounds pretty cool. So that was my, that was my foray into that. In fact, I remember my, my interview with Roger Johnson, who was the manager of the group. And Roger said to me, he said, just the fact that you know what GPS is means that you're a perfect fit for this, <laughs> for this role because nobody else knows what it is. Yeah. <laughs> now does, does Caterpillar even do ag anymore? Uh, no, we got out of the ag business, uh, actually, Geez, it would have been in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it sold basically the the uh, the tractor business, sold that to uh, uh, Agco, and then sold the the combine business uh, back to Kloss. And they they still so both of those machines still exist. Uh, you know, through some updates today, the the Challenger track tractor and the 
the Kloss Combines. But they are they have are and have been owned by those two companies, Agco and Kloss, since uh, since the early two thousands. It it is funny how and in Caterpillar, I guess they just announced another enormous acquisition this week, oil and gas. But it is interesting how all the big equipment companies just kind of buy and sell each other. So it's the same. A lot of times, it's the same. You know. A product, but it's just, you know, Hey, we're going to paint it a different color now. And then, you know, they're going to make modifications and kind of turn it into, you know, if they go buy someone, they're going to eventually turn it into a caterpillar. But, uh, you know, especially like mining or the forestry or, or trucks, it, it's, it's interesting to watch all these machines and, and companies change hands over time. Yeah. And a lot of it too is about marketing distribution, you know, getting the right product yeah. in front of the right customer. Yeah. And you know, if you've got an awesome product and you don't get it in front of the right customer, you're, you're, you know, kind of not really doing yourself a service. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I love watching that kind of stuff. So today, I mean, what, what is your, your day to day look like? You are a, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the foremost dozer experts I'd say. So what, what do you do day to day? But pre-COVID, because I know everything's a little (laughs) bit more boring these days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, it's uh, it's definitely a little bit different. But uh, so, you know, just a little bit of a picture of last year, you know, and Ryan Neal and I, we we spent a lot of time doing a lot of the same things, right? We, our jobs are, um, I would say it's, it's part of the time we spend customer facing and part of the time we spend internal engineer facing. So we're a bit of a a bit of a translator, right? You know, we translate engineering speak into, you know, what a customer does with a machine. Yeah. And then we turn around and translate, you know, the the voice of the customer and what they want into engineering re- requirements to drive, you know, what what we're changing the machine. So it's it's really, you know, it's really just a communications role in in its most simple form. It's a communications role. It's it's learning to speak two two languages at the same time. Mm. So in the, you know, in the engineering side of it, right, we, you know, we'll spend some time with the engineers for the different, different sizes of machines. We have, you know, requests that we get from customers and we kind of prioritize and put those together. And, you know, sometimes you just keep them in your head and sometimes you write them down on paper, but, you know, trying to drive the requirements to the, to the product group and, and ask them to, okay, well, you know, here, here's some new features that we think we need in here. Here's a couple of problems that we need to solve for customers that we don't know about, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, you know, I'd say that's probably 20, 30% of the, of the job is, is talking to the, uh, talking internally and talking to the, uh, the engineers and the product group. The other 70% of the job is, is out, you know, communicating with dealers and customers. Yeah. So a typical month for us would be, um, you know, we probably have a couple weeks where we were out, um, with dealers and customers doing some, uh, doing some training events with them. Maybe doing well. You were out there at Carter yeah. Carter Con last yeah. year. Yeah, a lot of them. You get a week of you know you get a week of Carter Con or you know a week of uh, of, a, of a dealer event out there, and you know they have the barbecue and they got all the machines out. Sometimes we do a demo for them. Usually you have some stick time out there, and you just spend some time talking to customers about what's new on the tractors and and you know technology and get a good you know get a handful of customer visits in there as well too. Love going to job sites and. And watching how guys are using the machines and asking questions about, you know, why aren't you doing it this way or why are you doing it that way, right? Yep. So we, you know, at the same time, I mean, that's that's how we learn, right? We spend time with customers and and just pick up on all the stuff that they're doing with it and how they're, you know, how they're using the the tractors differently or the, exactly the way we designed them, one or the other, right? What are your so, favorite favorite types of applications for a dozer to to go out and visit? Well, I mean. Uh, you can do a lot of things with the dozer. You can do a lot of things with the dozer. Yeah. So, 
So as, as usual, another, another quick story. When I first got into the, the dozer world in 2009, 2010, my sole job was waste handlers. Yes. We've talked right? about so, this. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. cat was at that point in time, cat marketing was divided up into kind of different groups. We had the excavation group, we had the earth moving group, and then we had quarry and special industries division. And that was us. So I was responsible for dozers and marketing and going into quarry waste industrial. So industrial is like wood chips at a paper mill or a pulp yeah. mill or something Steel. like that. Dozers are always yeah. stockpiling wood chips. Yeah. The, Power. uh, and of course, Yep. It, or yeah. coal piles. Right. Yep. Yeah. You know, and then waste, but waste was the big one. Yeah. So I get the distinctive privilege of having been in landfills all over the world and seeing every different type of trash and how they push it and what they do with it. I mean, there, there was one we went to where they were, they were literally cliffing trash off a hundred foot cliff Love it. and just bumping it off the edge there and, and letting it you know, naturally compress. And then you go to a, you know, really, really well managed, you know, North America landfill where they're laying it in 18 inches thick, hitting it with the compactor four or five times, getting it smashed down just exactly, you know, getting the maximum amount of compaction that they can get out of it Mm -hmm. and, and using the dozers exactly how they were, you know, where they were designed. So, Mm -hmm. so those are, those are, I mean, you know, landfills are a blast, you know, even just, there's some very interesting applications out there, right? You know, in, in terms of, uh, like you said, wood chip, coal pile, um, you know, even the earth moving stuff, right? You know, a couple, couple of years ago, I'd never really been on a job site that, that did a lot of, or I guess I never really got to see a lot of soil stabilization. Yeah. And so I went out to, to fly the drone one day at, uh, you know, at this, uh, this site where they were building a new, um, I was out there in uh, Western Ohio and they were building a new factory that builds brake pads or something for our autos. And they were doing all the soil stabilization out there, knocking it down with the dozer, tilling it up with that big RM that they had out there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, you know, slicking it off and rolling it in. And I'm like, you guys are just mixing mud up. He's like, no, 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 it's mud today, but tomorrow it's going to be concrete. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it, it didn't used to be very common only a few years ago. And now, I mean, man, you see it across the United States and a lot of like, like in Texas, they don't even spec road jobs without it anymore. Like it's just, you just stabilize. Like it's just any road that goes down in Texas, any warehouse, anything, just automatic stabilization. The whole southeast now, it's like the go-to. It's it's crazy how quickly it's grown, and it's a, it's it's a wild process. And and it's it's crazy how well it works. Like and after you see it once, you're like, okay, I get why you do that everywhere because it really does make it like concrete. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. And, and one and one guy, you know, I mean, I I ask a lot of questions. I mean, I'll drive you crazy with questions if yeah. I'm out on a job site with you. I'm with you there. And one yeah. and one guy told me he said uh, he said the the reason we do this, he said all of the good ground has already been developed. Yes. Now we're developing the crazy stuff, and yep. we got to you know dewater and stabilize to to even use this area these areas that we're going into. So. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, a few, I've seen a, a few crazy examples of that. Like, um, we worked with a company in Chicago, they were basically building on like a trash dump that was like 75 years old. So they were just digging through trash the entire time and then had to do micro piles through the entire site because the soil, you couldn't even stabilize it. It was so bad. So they had to set the entire warehouse on piles in, wow. in, in, in the middle of trash, you know, in the middle of Chicago, cause that's the only reason why it hasn't been developed or, there was this one job in West Virginia for a Menards, for a, a hardware store that was the anchor tenant of this you know small little development. They were moving like 5 million yards of rock because it was an old coal mine. And it's like 
five million yards of rock with a 6015 and 775 trucks for a hardware store. What the <laughs> hell? How does this economically make sense? But it's just that. It's like everything else is developed. So now we're going after the the crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. I mean, they, just the the job sites you get on nowadays are are so cool, especially like you said, some of the site prep stuff. Yeah. You know, you just wonder, you know, why did you pick this piece? And and when you go to look at it, I mean, you know, those developers are pretty smart, right? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. these guys in the site preppers, they're pretty smart. They they know what they're doing. And they're like, you know what? We could do this for X and it, it's going to be the the best cost alternative for you. And and so there it is. We build it in the swamp. It, they wouldn't be doing it if it didn't make money. But and, and yeah, yeah, building in swamps. I mean, that's that's commonplace now in South Carolina, Georgia. I mean, it's crazy the kind of stuff they build on there. But Going to landfills too, like landfills are probably among my favorite places to visit because they are all so different. They're all, you know, when you go to county or you go to waste management or public and then states are different. So you go to California versus, you know, we've been up to landfills in Maine. They're all so different and, and so well thought out. People think that they just, you know, dig a hole and bury the trash and then forget about it. But everything is thought out. Everything is engineered. Everything is regulated. There, um, and most of them are very pretty places. Like it's all, it's all seeded. The slopes are beautiful. Every everything's very, very buttoned up at landfills for the most part in this country, yeah. at least. Well, they they really do, and and part of the reason too is because there's an eye on them all the time, right? I mean, they yeah. they have to be very tidy and really well managed. But you wouldn't realize how much technology there is in packing trash. No, but. It's, you know, a lot of it's the airspace equation, um, you know, that that airspace, the the regulatory they have to go through to be able to get that airspace is so painful. Yeah. They want to get every cubic foot they can out of that. And and if they can if they can do something different on a dozer or a compactor to to, you know, get a little bit better compaction, a little bit better airspace. I mean, it's millions of dollars for these guys. Oh, and yeah. so they you know, it's, it's huge to make sure that they do that. Right. So anything, anything we can do on those machines to help them, help them do that job better, right. To help them spread compact and cover trash better really helps them, you know, dollars and cents wise on a, on a landfill. And then, yeah, going, I mean, just the, the technique is a big thing. And then reliability is a big thing on landfills too. I was talking with someone yesterday. Um, they, they sent me a picture of, or a video of a dozer. It looked like it was a steel mill application. And this thing was just beat to Hell. And I said, you know, that's probably the worst application I've seen for dozers or, you know, cement is, is another just brutal application. And then waste. I mean, those dozers, they, that, that's, that's where you're going to break a machine is, is in a trash pile because it is all sorts of nuts what those things have to push and deal with day to day. Yeah. And everything wants to kill you. Right. I mean, it's like walking yes. into a beehive, you know, I mean, you got rebar coming up here and wire and, you know, yeah. two by fours, you know, next, the next loads, telephone poles. <laughs> yeah, tell I and mean, you, know, you know needles and all kinds of I mean a lot of disgusting stuff, you know, like livestock will just show up, uh, you know, cows that you're you're pushing yep. with dozers. It's it's pretty gross sometimes. Yep. <laughs> and then the sludge. Let's not forget the sludge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I How had going to mix the soup in. Well, uh, <laughs> dig a hole and stick it in there. <laughs> yeah. No, I had a a girlfriend. She she always wanted to see a landfill and I'm like uh, so I every time I I went out to a landfill, I'd send her pictures of like I'm at another landfill. And that's, I told her, I'm like, I'll get you out to one of these one day. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But <laughs> she was, for whatever reason, uh, enamored by these things like I am. I, I, I could sit in a landfill all day and watch. We were just with um, up, in, up in Minnesota, Von Veit, who has, yeah. has Veit contracting, Veit disposal. And this guy, he's 79 years old. And every single day he drives out to his landfill, Vonco. 
and they bring in, you know, thousands of tons of trash a day there. It's just nonstop 18 wheelers, transfer trucks rolling in there all day long and it's all construction debris. So it's nothing really all that disgusting. And he just sits there in his, he has like a SUV. He'll just sit up on top of the trash pile and just watch, watch the trucks roll in, watch them dump, watch the compactors go back and forth, watch the dozers do the thing. Like that's his favorite place in the world is his landfill. He's there every day. It's, it's so funny. Just sit there and watch, watch trash get pushed. It is, it is pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's pretty neat. So. So what, uh, going to dozers, what, what are the more exciting things going on in the dozer world these days? Well, I mean, obviously the, the last couple of years, everybody that's been paying attention, we've kind of gone into our next gen dozer launch where we've got the new D5, D6, and now the D7 coming out right now is yep. the next gen, uh, next gen D7 coming out. So that's been pretty exciting. The, um, the D6 kind of started it all D6 and D6 XE kind of started it all because it was truly, I mean, a, I call it a 35-year redesign of that tractor. You think about the D6Ts and the Rs and the Hs were pretty much built on the same platform, yeah. right? You know, and and back in the mid 80s when we started, you know, we started and designed and, and really put that to put that H into production, it was a push arm dozer, right? It was an SU, you know, uh, LGPS push arm dozer. That's what it did. And the machines today do so so much different things. I mean, it's it's really honestly gone to mostly VPAT today. Yeah, and and so the you know the the tractor you know that that old that old R wasn't designed to be a VPAT tractor. Yeah, we we put a VPAT blade on them and and made them made them work, but they really weren't optimized for it. So so that was one of the key things with that next gen dozer was uh, was getting the you know getting the tractor sorted out to be able to handle the the type of work and the and the type of blades that that the customers were running. And then, of course, just tying it in with, you know, with with the, the new cab, better visibility, you know, all of the the electronics and technology in there. You know, again, the, those R's weren't designed really to to be run with, uh, you know, R's and, and, and T's. T's were T's. We got into them pretty good, you know, with the great control. They were they were a great tractor with great control. But just, you know, the, the next gen dozer really just took it up to the next level in terms of the, the electronic infrastructure and, and being able to run that tractor, you know, with with grade control. And, and even moving forward into the, um, you know, into the remote control space, we'll call it, right? That kind of that semi-autonomous, yep. you know, building these machines up so that they're ready to accept that that semi-autonomous remote control um, when, when a customer is ready to do that. So that's really kind of been our our big push the last couple of years has been, you know, getting the message out about the D6 and D6 XE and then uh, following it up with that D5. And then this year, of course, bringing that D7 out with all the, the new features on it, you know, again, Pretty pretty heavy redesign on that D7, going from the D7E to the next gen D7. Uh, oh, totally boy. different tractor. Yeah, people are pretty stoked about that one because the the D7E uh, as as I've I've collected a lot of data on that tractor by asking how do you like it, you know, as a hundred times over, and um, very seldom do I hear you know best tractor I've ever run in my life. I'll just I'll just leave it that it was great concept but a total lemon uh so i think everyone's real happy to see that go back to high drive and uh just kind of back to where it should have been i think from the beginning yeah yeah definitely the the 70 had its challenges most certainly now yeah i i will i, I like to i like to say that there's two things that the d70 taught us right the one is electric drive yep the, the d70 taught us electric drive is crazy efficient right mm-hmm. i mean the, the fuel burn on the d70 and what it could push in the right application, that D70 could almost push with an eight, almost in the right application. The thing's just, it's just amazing what it could push. If you could get the tracks to, you get, you get a bit, 
you know, you get that traction, that thing would push like, like a son of a gun. So that's one thing we learned electric drive. The second thing we learned was that our customers don't like low drive tractors. Yes. And they continuously told us that. Yes. Yes. So that's, that's largely why they buy Caterpillar is because of the high drive system, because it is from what I've gathered and a lot of people would argue this, it is the superior way to do things in most applications. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's uh there's lots of advantages to high drive, you know, especially in that medium dozer size, right. You, know, yep. you, you can get the balance of the tractor where you need to be right. Because, cause it's not all about, you know, it's, it, it, it is a balance, right. You got to have enough weight on the front to be able to get that blade stuck in the ground, cut through that clay and push. Yep. And the, you know, there's, there's four portions of the dozer cycle. There's cut, carry, spread and return. And if you can reduce that cut time by having enough weight on the front of that tractor, you improve your total cycle time. Yep. All right. So, so that, that's one key piece of it. But at the same time, you know, having a little bit more weight on the back end of it helps with grading and, and helps a little bit with finishing, right? Because you don't have as a, an, an aggressive of a cutting stance with your blade. And so, probably, probably undercarriage wear too, is that if you have more weight on the back, you're not slipping as much. Well, you're, you're also not putting as much. So, so undercarriage wears a couple different things, right? You're, you're, yeah. you're thinking grousers. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and grousers usually aren't the big one. It's the rollers and rollers and, uh, and the chains. Gotcha. Right. So if you got, if you got all your weight in one spot, either the front or the back, you're putting more pressure on those, call it four rollers, you know, an idler or a sprocket, you're putting more weight on that mm-hmm. and you're, you're burning that undercarriage up faster. So the better balance you have, the more even under, undercarriage wear you have and, and the better, uh, better your life's going to be on it in general. Okay. So, so that's part of high drive. You know, the other part of it too, is just, you know, not only being able to place that roller frame where you want it, but, uh, but not having that sprocket on the ground, especially in, in harder applications, right? If you got some bigger rocks, every time you hit that sprocket on a bigger rock, you're getting a jolt. Yeah. And it, you know, jars the operator certainly, but it also jars the final drives and the, you know, case and frame of the tractor and the whole thing. So, so having that, even just a pivot shaft, even if it's not fully suspended, just the pivot shaft, allowing those roller frames to kind of, kind of transverse and and ramp up and ramp down over those objects Mm -hmm. makes it significantly smoother and easier on the tractor as well too. So in the operator, cause I, I see, I mean, that's probably the biggest complaint on those on, on the bigger tractors that other folks make is that they're just rough and they just, they just beat the hell out of you when you have that in those, those high drive tractors, they seem to cruise over the rocks a little bit better and, and over rough terrain a little bit better. Yeah. And a, and a great, a great application to think about with that is ripping. Yes. Right. So yes. you're, you're ripping when you're going forward. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, disturbing the ground behind you, but as soon as you kick it in reverse, the difference between first gear reverse because it's shaking your teeth out yeah. or second year gear, gear reverse because it's nice and smooth. There's a lot of productivity advantage in, in being able to back up a little bit quicker over that rough terrain. Yeah. And, and doing that for 12 hours every day. I mean, as you know, when you're in your fifties, not, not a good time, not a good time at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You, you want to keep the few teeth that you have left yeah. at that point. So, so the, the, the D six X E electric drive. So can you explain the electric drive setup and what the advantages are to that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the electric drive is um, it, it's, it's really an interesting way of transferring power, right? You, you wouldn't think that electric drive and a bulldozer, you, you wouldn't just naturally think that that's something that you would do. Yeah. Right? Electric drive and locomotives and electric drive and, you know, in your Tesla. Yeah. Big trucks. Uh, but you, you just, yeah. yeah, you just wouldn't think of it in, in a bulldozer, but, 
you kind of think a little bit about what, what a bulldozer does, right? And it cycles all day long, goes forward, pushes, goes reverse. So, and it truly does that. You change directions every 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got to have a, a machine that's able to ramp up speed quickly, get the power and, and the torque to push, and then slow down quickly, reverse, do the same thing, you know, over and over again. So it's really all about that cycles. Mm -hmm. So, um, and not that, you know, power shift or high stat transmissions don't do that, but we've, we've been able to create this electric drive system that partially regenerates some of that deceleration and saves a little bit of that and then uses it to kick you in reversing and back up. So we, we regenerate just a little bit of that, right? You don't have to do a lot, right? We're not, you know, we're not, we're not holding a ton of it in there, but there's capacitors in this inverter and they store a little bit of that energy mm -hmm. and, and that that little bit of, of extra energy helps us to be a little more efficient. The other piece of that too, is being able to run that engine at a lower RPM because your dozers aren't pushing, you know, balls to the wall as hard as they can all the time. Right. You know, you're going in reverse half the time yeah. and, and you simply don't need 2,100 RPM to go in reverse. Yeah. So the electric drive system is smart enough to be able to, to reduce that RPM and get us some significant fuel savings in reverse and even in forward, right? Even if you're, if you're cutting and you're using 90% of the power of the tractor, as soon as you get into the slide, you're down to 70. As soon as you get into the spread, you're down to 50. So you don't need 2,100 RPM at 50% load on a tractor. So no, and what, what a six does to let us do that. I mean, a six isn't real is very rarely flat out. from what I see in the field, you're not really hogging with a six. It's, you know, you're grading, you're, it's a lot of grading. It's a lot of finishing, you know, doing, doing odds and ends, you're, you're not really flat out a whole lot in most, most situations. Yeah, no, I mean, it, and it's the mix, right? I mean, it's a mix. Sometimes you're yeah. pushing hard, you know, you get the first half of those two truckloads that are dumped in front of you, you know, the first half of that, you're, you got pretty full blade loads, but yeah. then the next yeah. two pushes, they're all half blade loads. So, yeah. so I, I totally avoided your question. What is it? Right. So the electric drive system, like a, like a good take, corporate spokesman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the, you've got you've got your engine, right? So it's C nine nine point three B engine, yep. and on the back of that engine, we put a generator. So it's you know directly coupled to the engine. It's bolted on there uh, onto the flywheel housing, and it's it is what is creating the electricity. So you know pretty much all that torque that goes into that that generator gets turned into electricity. All right. Now there's your, your pump housing on there as well too, right? So you've got your hydraulic pumps and everything else that are in between there. The Mickey Mouse ears, um, if you've ever seen one, anybody that's ever seen one know what I'm talking about. Yep. So engine generator creates the electricity. The electricity goes into this component that we call the inverter, right? So the inverter is a bunch of capacitors and some computers in there. And basically what it's doing is, is it's converting that electricity in any electricity that comes through that gets generated through a spinning component is alternating current. Mm -hmm. So it takes that AC, converts it to DC and back into AC again, which helps to, to smooth out and condition that electricity. So there's no spikes or anything in it. Right. Yep. And, and we use a bunch of, you know, capacitors in there to help do that. And also, you know, to store a little bit of that energy as well. And then that energy in, in an AC form again, goes down into a motor on the D six XE. It's one single motor in the propulsion module. And that motor basically does the same thing that the old transmission input shaft did. And that provides forward and reverse propulsion. Okay. So when the motor spins one direction, the tractor goes forward. When the motor spins the opposite direction, the tractor goes in reverse. So then we change, we, we use a, a traditional differential steering system 
right? So your differential steering system gives you a hydraulic input that changes a couple of planetary gears, directions on those, which increases or decreases the differential between the left and right track. So with no input from the steering system, that tractor goes straight forward or goes straight in reverse. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start to spin that, that diff steer hydraulic motor and spinning it slow, it creates a small differential, meaning that you'd make a big wide turn. If you spin that hydraulic motor fast, it creates a, a great differential between the left and right track. And it spins the outside track even faster than the inside track and lets you turn sharper. Yeah, so dozers, so dozers, they turn based on the speed of the tracks. So whenever it's turning, the, the track speed from left to right is, is different in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, the hydraulic motor in the diff steer setup is what controls the speed of that and the direction. When the hydro, hydraulic motor turns counterclockwise, the tractor goes left. When it turns clockwise, the tractor goes right. Yes. Right? So, and so these, the, and this eliminates the conventional transmission, right? So you're not exactly. picking up gears. Yep, not picking up gears at all. The The generator creates electricity. The motor uses the electricity and, and you know, varies between zero and 10,000 RPM to to change the speed of the tractor between, you know, what do we go? Zero to uh, 6.8 mile an hour, 11 kilometers an hour, something like that. Uh, you're, 8. The, you're, 6. you're the expert. Don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> and, and guessing and guessing at speeds. It's something like that. <laughs> were you guys were you guys nervous about putting this new setup into the world after the D7E? Because like, again, D7E didn't have it all figured out. And this is arguably, you know, Caterpillar's bestseller is the D6. You have the D6 and I think it's the 336, right? The two best-selling machines in Caterpillar's lineup, period, globally. So was that nerve-wracking for you guys to, to make such a crazy departure? Because I know you're still offering the conventional d6 but but yeah. you know was it was i think it? you've just i think you just answered your question <laughs> yeah so yeah. you know yeah we 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 knew that the that the electric drive was an awesome setup and, and we we knew that we really had something here but at the same time it was like oh, what if customers don't want that yeah. like you know we we have and, and i love our customers to pieces but we we've got you know billy bob and the bib overalls that says I don't want any of this new fancy electronic stuff. Just give me the same old tractor that I've had. Yep. Right. And so we, we got to be able to take care of, of that guy too, and, and make sure that, Hey, if you want the same old tractor you've had, you know, we've, we've got this setup right here. It's got a lot of the same advantages that the, the XE does in terms of cab engine frame blade, all that, but it's a traditional power shift transmission. And, uh, and so, you know, still very simple and easy to run, put it in gear. It automatically shifts, uh, you know, so it's still simple and easy and, and, and comfortable to run, but yet it's, it's not as new or, uh, or different as the XE, mm -hmm. but, but a couple of things we did do with the XE because we, we, we truly believe that the XE is, is the way to go. I mean, it's a phenomenal machine. It runs like a, you know, I mean, it runs like a, a monster, doesn't burn much fuel at all. Super efficient, you know, a little bit more expensive because there's some more components involved in there, you know, definitely a little more expensive, a little bit of a premium to it. But we really feel that electric drive is the way to go. Just crazy efficient, last a long time. You know, I mean, I, I could talk about it for hours. But at the same time, we, we also know we got to slowly introduce customers into this, you know. And, it, and if, if somebody, you know, hey, you want a traditional D6, by golly, we got it for you. So is the cost of ownership, you know, long term, even though the purchase price is higher on the XE, is it less than traditional, do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you're... Um, and we, we kind of look at it, you know, customers in, in different uh, kind of in different buckets, right? I mean, if you're just renting a tractor for a year, the difference 
in the cost of the XE versus a traditional, you're better off going with a regular D6. If you're just going to own it for a year or two, yeah. you know, you're, you know, if, especially if you don't value the productivity, if you're just, you know, pushing in trenches behind a 336, right. You know, or 49 or something, and you're not, and you're not really using the productivity and you're just kind of doing utility type work, better off going with a D6. Gotcha. But if you're going to own this tractor long term and, and use it hard and use it a lot of hours, there's kind of a little bit of a formula there. The longer you own it, the harder you use it, the more hours you use it, mm-hmm. the more money you make with that XE. Okay. And specifically, if you get into where you're going to do a rebuild on it, you know, you take this tractor out 15,000 hours, you want to, you want to rebuild and run it for another 10 or 15,000 hours. That rebuild on the transmission is significantly less expensive than it is, you know, like, like to the tune of about a dollar an hour, it's significantly less expensive than a traditional transmission. That was my, the rebuild my on it. Yeah. Yeah. The rebuild yeah. on it, there's basically four bearings and a couple of a seal kits. Wow. You know, you, you pop open the generator and the motor, you put new bearings in the end of the, the, the rotors in there and you pop it back together with the seal kits. And that's pretty much it. Okay. Now why with the D seven, why depart from the electric drive on that? Why not just go high drive with the electric drive since it was already there? Yeah. So, so there was a lot of things going on with that D seven. I would have um, loved to be in like the room during that discussion. Like, no, we, we, <laughs> we want to keep it. No, no, no. It's the stupidest damn thing. No one liked it. Yeah. Well, the, the electric drive portion of it guys loved. Yes. Right? No. Yeah, and right? I, and yeah, I'm not giving it enough credit. People did like that. It was, it was a big deal, but it was just, you know, it could have been executed a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it was the it, reliability it, I think is what got that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, and actually, I mean, you know, to, to get into the D seven, just a little bit, you know, we certainly low drive was, was part of the problem in that, uh, in that we got a little bit more vibrations in there. Um, we got a little bit more ride complaints in there because it's low drive. And so it was, it was a great reminder why we shouldn't do that on big dozers. But then, um, some of the, uh, just to hit reliability a little bit, like, so some of the issues with that tractor, we did have some rotor bearing issues and, and guys that had the tractors know about it, right? We had rotor bearings at seven, 8,000 hours that were giving us some troubles. And, uh, and so we, you know, for the most part, I think we fixed uh, almost all of them, you know, at, at our expense, we did a lot of that, but we learned the problems with rotor bearings and lubricating and making sure that we change them out. So that's why that's one of the that is why that that is one of the uh, uh, one of the improvements in the D six version of the electric drive is rotor bearings. Another one was speed sensors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the motors in the D seven E had some external speed sensors. Since it's low drive, put it in the landfill, it would get a little bit more dirt and material and trash and stuff up in there. And since it's low drive, guys didn't like clean it out as much because they never had to clean the high drive tractor under carriages out. Yeah, so. They got a little bit more material in there and then it started to corrode the wiring and those sensors. So on the D6, we changed that around and no external speed sensors. We put all of the speed sensors for the motor internal so that there's no chance for them to corrode. So we we learned a lot of stuff from the D7 on the reliability side of it that we brought into that D6. Yeah. Um, yeah. But why not keep so why not apply those lessons to the D, the new one? new one as well. The, the D7 XE. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a couple other things going on in that D7 market as well too, right? <laughs> the, the D7 was, a, was a pretty expensive tractor as well too, for, oh, for yeah. what it did. Yep. It was a pretty expensive tractor. So one of the things, one of the goals of the new D7 was to, to kind of take a look at the cost of that tractor and the selling price of it as well too. So we, we did take the new D7s, you know, less expensive than the D7E because it's not electric drive. 
The second piece of that too is that the, the D7 is a worldwide product. The D7E was not. It was only uh, only for higher regulated countries, basically North America and Europe. Okay. So so to get the get the production and get the volume that we needed for the new D7, we needed to kind of make that as a worldwide tractor. And and power shift is a worldwide thing. Yes. Um, you know the the countries that that are rest, lesser regulated they will use that power shift transmission with a different engine, you know, tier two, tier three engine, depending oh. on where they're at. Oh yeah. I, I love seeing the brand new, brand new dozers and, and machines in other countries without any kind of t4, tier four whatsoever. Yeah. It, it makes me happy. Yeah. So we, we try to commonize as much as we can with those machines, but yet they, they're different. Like, you know, it's, you know, you try to make as many things common as you can to get your manufacturing figured out, right? So that we can uh, we can design and build the tractor once rather than designing three different D7s for the world. You know, we want to design it once and yep. uh, and have one that we can kind of flex back and forth. So Power Shift helped us do that. Okay, um, that makes sense. And there's nothing like not having a D7XE to make customers ask you where the D7XE is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you get that question a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm and, and asking, we do. I'm asking you not that now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we do, and I, you know, that's part of the feedback that that we give to the product group as well, to say, hey, man, I, I got a lot of customers asking me about this. Can you know, can we put this on the docket and and you know, kind of start to work this project? So we we have lots of discussions with the product group about it, and we we certainly mention it a lot to them as well. That hey, we we need to be thinking about this T seven XE as well. Now with with uh, well, for all we know, it could exist already, but it, knowing Caterpillar at least. But with dozers, with with how much you've seen, how many dozers you've seen in the field, how many applications you've seen over a, a many, many years, what are the things people screw up with dozers? What are the mistakes people make with dozers? It might might be around undercarriage, but what, what do you see that you'll just see an application, someone using a dozer, like, oh man, that is yikes. Wow, that's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, honestly, I think some of the biggest inefficiencies I see with dozers are just idle, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of times that there's a lot of times guys will, you know, they'll just, I, I don't know. And it's the job too, right? I, I hate to be too judgmental for the job. If you've got two trucks bringing dirt to you today, because the third one's down, you're going to be sitting a lot in between. Right. So a lot of it is that I, I, I see that a lot. I really, honestly, I don't really see a lot of abuse. I don't see guys that are, you know, doing things with the dozer that, that I don't think they should be doing. Yeah. You know, if you got a, if you got to bump down a tree with a VPAT blade, that's the dozer you got. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful, but, but go ahead and do it. Right. We sell parts too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, cat likes <laughs> um, to sell parts. Yeah. 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 We, we like selling parts. Yeah. So, uh, so break, break it if you need to, uh-huh. but no, I mean, I, it's, uh, for the most part, I, I see a little bit of inefficiencies in, in, uh, you know, in, in idle and stuff like that. There's not a lot of times that guys aren't, aren't doing the job, you know, the, the best way that they know how. For the most part, I mean, I'll, you know, wave the flag for the dozer hands out there. Most of the dozer hands are pretty darn good. Like you don't, you don't fall off the turnip truck and they put you in the, in the dozer. I agree. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. most of the guys are pretty sharp. They know what they got to do and they, they can articulate if you say, Hey, man, why, why do you keep running back and forth between here and there? You know, they, they got a reason, you know, they're, they've got a pretty good reason why they're doing that. It's, it's not just to wear out the undercarriage. Yeah. Well, most of the time they have a reason, but yeah, I, I, dozers, they aren't all that abused. It's more, you know, excavators or all kinds of other things that people do some crazy stuff with, but dozers, it's pretty tame. It's just pushing stuff. Yeah. Pushing stuff. And, and then a lot of, I mean, there's, you know, on a good job site, like on a good site prep site, 
you'll watch them run all over the place. I, I've got a it, kind of a fun story from Western New York in the uh, out there in the Finger Lakes region. I, I went out and, and helped a customer demo a, a D6N for three days. I believe I was there for three days. It was a landfill and it was a cell prep. So they were moving all the dirt for the cell prep. Yeah. And honestly, sitting there in my rental car, watching it happen, flying the drone, taking some pictures was one of the best experiences I've had in just in just literally being invisible on a job site and watching it all happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that dozer would go in from knocking truck dumps down, push up to the excavator a little bit. Oh, mate, somebody got stuck. So he goes over and bumps something out. The one morning that dozer spent two hours cleaning slop off the haul road mm-hmm. so that the trucks could move. Yep. Right. I mean, and just, you know, just, just to watch that guy work all day long and do all of the different tasks that he did all day long. I mean, it's it's a really amazing tool uh, yeah, a good, to, to be able to do that. Well, a good dozer hand won't be sitting very much. Even if there are just two trucks running and, and they don't have a whole lot to do over there, they'll be over there, you know, tidying things up. Or there, There's always something to do, I feel like, especially those jobs. There's always something a dozer can do. And it, it is a yeah. treat. And, and that's, that's the cool thing about what we do. We, like, my goal is just to be a fly on the wall. I don't like to disturb operations. I don't like to make anything about us. It's just, you know, hey, what do you want us to do? Just do what you were doing before we got here. That's it. I just want you to do your job. And uh, yep. it is a treat to just watch these guys work because it, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. They're, they're, they know what they're doing. Well, and, and some of, you know, to give you a little plug here, some of your best work is candid. Like yeah. when people don't yeah. know you're there and guys are, you know, standing by a machine or getting in and out of something or talking, man, that's, that's the stuff that's like, wow, I, those are awesome images and videos. When, when you get that candid stuff, when they don't know you're there, that's, yes. that's the best product that, that you, that you do. It's awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's what I strive for. And it, it is funny too. I, I, I used to be uh, you know, when guys, a lot, some guys, they don't, they don't want you there taking their picture, which is okay. I, I get that. But at the same time, I have a damn job to do and I'm there to take their picture. So I'm going to get their <laughs> I'm going to get their picture, whether they like it or not. And, uh, I used to get bent out of shape about it. Now it's just like, listen, bud, I'm going to outweigh you. So uh, you're going to have to go back to work. Cause I know you're on the clock. And when you do, I'll be right there. You won't even see me, but I'm going to get you. And that's, that's when I get the real good stuff is a lot of times the guys that really don't want their picture taken, but but I, I don't do it out of, out of you know, my own self-pursuit. I do it to make them look badass. And then once they see the photograph, they're like, whoa, hey, I, I actually look pretty, like, this is pretty damn cool. And then they're all stoked about it the next time you come because, oh, yeah. wow, they've seen the pictures and they get it. But that, that, that no first time, it's so weird. Good. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> no, one, no, one, no one doesn't like looking good. Like, if you make me look badass, I'm going to love it. And so once, once you kind of connect those dots, it becomes a lot easier and everyone's stoked to have you. Yeah, so that's why you're always laying down on the ground taking pictures behind a rock. I'll, I'll sneak that around. That makes I'll, sense. I'll sneak around. Yeah, you can't. I because I, I don't. I I really don't want to be the focus. I just want to be a fly on the wall. And and it usually it does sometimes take a few minutes too to just get in the middle. And then everyone's like, "What the hell is this guy doing?" And then they'll just get used to me there, and they'll almost forget about me. And that's that's when the real good stuff happens when they forget yeah. about me. You remember, you remember that first morning that you, uh, out at Tanaha and you talked me into going out there like, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning or some insane time yeah. to catch this golden sunrise thingy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, it, you know, I'm, I'm, st- I'm sucking down my first cup of coffee and you jump out of the truck and start running around. And I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? I don't, I don't and have then, any time uh, to hang out. 
Yeah. <laughs> I kind of fig- I kind of figured it out. I'm like, yeah, he's he's getting lots of different spots and lots of different uh, images and backgrounds. It, it was awesome. Yeah, there's there's a there's I don't know there's there's stuff that goes into it. I was just down just south of Tanaha last week at about you know four thirty to catch that that same light uh, at the border fence project and and yeah it's just it's a Tanaha is cool too because it's it's just so special and the desert is so gorgeous and and that's just such a beautiful piece of land and the weather is incredible out there. It's just that's one of my favorite places to visit. Yeah. Yeah. Same so, here. Same here. I, uh, I really, really enjoy that. It, that's why, I mean, honestly, we, we get, you know, over the years you mentioned, okay, what do you do in a normal, normal week and whatnot? But normally we have our spring training and stuff out there and we spend, we spend a lot of time out there, you know, a month or two in the beginning of the year. And then normally a few weeks during the rest of the year. And, yeah. uh, it, it, it's an awesome place, kind of a, a great way to fall in love with the desert is to spend some time out there first thing in the morning, big time, just watching it all come to life. Yeah. Now, is spring training going to happen this year, or who who the hell knows, huh? I think it might be a little bit different than it has been in the past, right? We we've been so you know post COVID, we've been doing tons of webinars and training and and whatnot. Yeah, um, you know just just from the from the basement here, right? And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't do that next year. I don't think we're I don't think we've decided yet, but you know we've gotten pretty good at this webinar thing and and even doing you know spending some time at Edwards and doing some live walkarounds and stuff like that. You know, Ryan and I have both done those and th- those work out pretty good too. Obviously using the tools that we've got, right? Video, you know, I, I try to create a lot of videos, walk arounds and things like that of, of machines to, for customers as well as dealers, you know, and, and even, you know, the competitive studies and stuff we do, I try to create some, some pretty good materials for the dealers as well. And, and uh, occasionally we throw something out there on YouTube for customers as well too, documenting a, a production study that we did. So we're, we're always doing that stuff as well too. So we, you know, we, we still create a lot of materials to help, you know, customers make their decisions and also help dealers, you know, educate their customers as well. Gotcha. Well, Sam, if people want to find you, they want to see your dozer content or your combine content, where do they go? So yield map is the, uh, that's the, that's the handle that I've had on everything for every, for forever. (laughs) So Yield Map is on Instagram. I think Twitter, it's Yield Map Dozer, maybe. And then, uh, of course, Facebook as well, too. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not 20 years old, so I, I can't nah, do that. Dang, nah. dang keeps giving me static about not being on TikTok, but... Uh, that's okay. I, I can't I, do I wouldn't that. value his opinion all that much. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I stay away from that, too. It's a little too much for me. Yeah. Y- YouTube, I think, I think my channel on YouTube is called Yield Map. That's my personal one. But then like any of the cat content that we do would be under the cat products channel. So yeah, take a look at cat products and look for, you know, dozer or D6 or D6 XE and, and you'll find tons of stuff that we've done out there. Love it. Well, I guess I'll let, I'll let you get back to, uh, back to doing stuff back to the farm. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this time of the year, I kind of do half vacation days, right? So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll work in the morning, kind of get caught up on emails and everything. And then Normally I'll do a half day and go to the farm, jump in the combine and, uh, and spend the, spend the afternoon watching corn go down. How long's the harvest? So we, we normally get 20 good days to harvest. Uh, we got, uh, beans took us five or six days and, uh, corn with the extra volume and whatnot. I mean, we'll, we'll fill in those, those remaining 15. So is it your combine? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's our combine. So we, yeah. uh, you know, in the Midwest, for the most part, everybody pretty much owns their own. Gotcha. Um, you know, custom harvesting is more of a wheat Kansas type thing. There's okay. a little bit of it in Illinois, but yeah. we, we own our own. So we, uh, combine dad runs the truck and, uh, my stepmom runs the, uh, runs the grain cart 
And Love it. Brother-in-law and sister get involved too. And my son, whenever in the weekends, my son kicks me out of the combine. So I'm stuck in a tractor or something. <laughs> well, I'm sure you were doing that <laughs> back in the day <laughs> yeah, too. I, I, I was, yeah. I was. All right, man. Well, I appreciate all your time, all your dozer insight. And uh, I will hopefully catch you one of these days. Who knows when that'll be? Maybe 2025 when there's a, a live event again. But I, I know it'll happen one of these days. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, well, we'll get down get down to that new office in, in Nashville. Come on down. Yes, we'll do sir. Do something there. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, if, if Trimble Dimensions actually happens next year, we'll be having a big event there. That's going to be crazy. Without masks. I'm with you. I'm with you. There's there's a lot more stuff on the farm that's going to kill you or hurt yeah. you quicker than a than a little virus will. I'll yeah. tell you that. We've spent enough time around landfills and in some hazardous <laughs> hazardous places. All right, Ooh. man. Well, uh, Mr. Sam Meeker, you can find him at Yield Map. And with that, we're all done with another episode. If you found that interesting, if you learned something about dozers, that was pretty technical. Real good stuff about dozers. Like I said, you won't talk to anyone better than Sam about cat dozers. Well, cat has some great dozer people, but Sam's, you know, one of those folks. So if you learn something, send it on down the road, help this thing grow, get it out there. I appreciate everyone sharing. I appreciate everyone listening and we'll see you on the next go around.